Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network. The Best Ever You Show is here to help you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. With this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. And now, here is your host, Elizabeth. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Best Ever You Show. Thank you so much for listening with us and following along with us today. Today we have Fiona McCulloch, who is the author of Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS, which is Polycystic Ovarian Syndrome. She's also the founder and owner of White Lotus Integrated Medicine. And uh, we'll get into her past here a little bit, but I want to make sure if you're listening along with us, you can follow us on um, Twitter, um, and I am at Best Ever You, and Fiona is at F I O N A M C N D. That's N D. And um, also her website, if you if you want to look on the website while we're while you're listening, it's Dr. Fiona N D dot com or White Lotus Clinic dot C A. So uh, Fiona, or um, Fiona McCullough, (laughs) is a a naturopath practitioner. She's worked with thousands of people seeking better health for over the past 15 years. Um, I love this, and I loved her book, which, again, is Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS. She's a data junkie, and you can kind of tell by some of the things that are in her writing. She she gives you evidence behind the things she's saying, but she basically provides really great evidence-based therapies for PCOS, thyroid health, autoimmunity, weight management, and infertility. And I'm sorry to have my serious voice on, <laughs> but i got to tell you, um, I am one of uh, eight sisters. I've got a lot of friends, girlfriends out there, and I can't think of anybody that I know that actually doesn't have some form of this in some way. Um, it's just absolutely, I know it's an overgeneralization, of course, but, you know, just we all have our issues at one time or another with some of these issues, I swear. And um, I know I had ovarian cysts when I was pregnant with our third son and just all sorts of kinds of things. So um, I really, um, Fiona, are you are you there? <laughs> just want to make sure you can hear us. Yes, everything. I am, Elizabeth. <laughs> thank I'm you right here, so yeah. much for being here. Yeah, and thank you and welcome to the show. Um, and you're also, um, you're married with three boys. I'm married with four, yeah, I don't know if they're boys, but they're two in college, one about to be in college and one a a freshman in high school, so I've got bo- they're boys, wow. but they're growing up quickly. Yeah, crazy. Um, yeah. Tell, let me start with you for just a little bit and give um, a little bit about your background and why you do what you do, because I know you have your own personal story. Do you want to share that with us? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for inviting me to be here. It's really an honor, and I'm just um, excited to be able to present, you know, more information on PCOS because I know uh, a lot of people out there are affected. Um, my own story is that, uh, well, basically, I, um, from being a teen girl, I actually always had the symptoms of PCOS, um, but uh, that was quite a while ago. And uh, it was actually never really picked up in my case, but I had um, very, very irregular cycles. I would get, you know, just a few a year, and I had really uh, significant cystic acne that, you know, just would not respond to treatment. And, um, you know, this went on for for a long time. You know, I'm going to say 
you know, from the time I had my period until, you know, into my 20s, this was just there. And nobody ever really, you know, thought that I, I or mentioned to me that I might have PCOS, I think, because back then it was thought that, you know, you had to be really quite on the heavier side. And I wasn't super lean, but I was just average weight. And um, so instead, I would just go to the dermatologist and I did, you know, bouts on the birth control pill. Um, and uh, so I actually never knew that I had this uh, this condition. And uh, I did always gain weight around my stomach. So um, I definitely had a lot of uh, cravings for carbohydrates that were pretty intense. And um, so, yeah, as I went through um, university, I did my undergraduate in biological sciences and I focused on molecular biology. And, you know, I was kind of a it's quite a stressful program. So I would go to the cafeteria and eat lots of pasta and breads and things like that. And uh, during that period of time, I gained a significant amount of weight when I was in in university. Um, So my symptoms actually got a lot worse at that point. Um, Then I went uh, uh, to Russia and I did a semester there. And this was um, in 1997. And this was right after communism uh, switched over into democracy. And there was a uh, kind of a shortage of fresh food. So the most reliable source of food was really carbohydrates, so bread. And so I ate a lot of bread and I gained more weight while I was there. Um, and my symptoms just got worse and worse. And, you know, m- the rest of my friends, you know, they were, I-, I would ask them and they did not have these irregular periods. But uh, originally I thought, you know, this was normal being a younger woman or a teen. But I started to realize, you know, this wasn't quite normal. I still had a lot of acne and uh, not getting better no matter what I tried. It was just continuously there. Um, so yeah, so basically, uh, I came back to university and then I started to actually get really interested in nutrition and holistic health. My mother had become interested in that and, uh, I joined the holistic health club and I started to, um, you know, investigate different kinds of, uh, what, what approach I would take. I wanted to become a doctor and I started, uh, going to see a naturopath and they actually really helped me quite a bit with, um, some gastrointestinal issues I was having started changing my diet and feeling better. So then I decided, um, you know, that this was the route I wanted to go. So I applied to naturopathic medical school. I went there. And of course, being in that environment, uh, it's really quite different. So I really changed my diet quite a bit. I started eating um, completely differently, eliminated all the processed foods, ate a lot of uh, vegetables, lean proteins. And I just lost, you know, my weight very easily at that point uh, that I had gained and miraculously, all of a sudden, my periods started coming quite a bit more regularly. So, um, you know, uh, that was that was interesting. And I thought, well, you know, this this uh, I don't know why this has happened, but I thought, OK, maybe it's just because I'm, I'm eating healthfully. And as I started to go further in my studies, I started learning about hormones and started putting the pieces together that, you know, maybe I might have something with, you know, that that resembled PCOS. So um, soon after I, I graduated, I actually had all my hormone, hormones run, and um, lo and behold, I had all of the markers. I had high DHEA and testosterone and high LH, and, um, and then, uh, you know, it was like a light bulb went off and that this had been, you know, what I'd had all along. So um, it was quite uh, quite an eye-opening experience for me. And um, I, I've always found um, hormones very interesting. And so I, I just became more and more interested in understanding more about hormones uh, work with the brain, the ovaries, the adrenals, the thyroid. I started treating a lot of patients with infertility. And, uh, you know, it just sort of uh, went from there. 
So, um, yeah, that's basically how I got, I got interested. And I just see so many women coming to my office, so many who actually have PCOS and don't know. And it's just so, it, it makes me feel so good to be able to help them and tell them, you know, that this is maybe what's been causing these issues for them. Yeah. And my so inspiration I'm, to write the book. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah it's a great book, too. Yeah, oh, eight, eight steps to reverse your PCOS. It's a, I mean, it's a fabulous book. And um, for anybody listening, I, I want to address this issue of like it's all in your head, or a doctor tells you like you're you know you're you're crazy, you got nothing, or like I I'm going to share a story. I I went to the doctor. I don't know how many years ago it was. Now I'm 47, um, so it's probably uh, 10 years ago or so. And I said, look, I'm starting to get um, migraines with. Um, my period, like before I have my period, I'm getting migraines. And the guy's like, oh, we better test you for a brain tumor. Something's wrong. I'm like, no, I don't have a brain tumor. I've got, I've got something very clockwork, predictable things happening here. This is not, a, this is not random headaches. This is, and, and so I got sent, uh, and I didn't follow up because I just thought it was ridiculous, um, to, to be checked for that instead of this. And so I'm, I'm wondering to, everybody, to people listening going, gosh, maybe that's me. Maybe I've got, you know, something along the lines of PCOS, but I'm, you know, might be misdiagnosed or I'm lost or I don't know really how my body is changing as I'm aging. Um, where do you start, especially with somebody mm-hmm. who does something sort of, um, I don't know, it, it, it's not very compassionate, I don't think, in my case. Yeah, it's really tough. A lot of, I find in women's health, you know, this is a common thing to be told that, you know, your symptoms are in your head or, you know, you're just nervous, you'll be, you know, you're fine and nothing's wrong. But I mean, I would encourage, you know, women out there just to keep searching and trying to find a practitioner or even searching online and find those answers yourself if you're not having anyone who's listening to you. Because I think we all know, you know, when uh, something's going on in our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. So, so keep, keep searching like, like I did. Um, I think I finally kind of found something though that really actually is awesome, which is your book. Um, and I, I was hoping that maybe you would spend some time with us and go through the actual eight steps. So somebody listening to the call could really follow you and have, you know, it's always great to hear the author's voice and what they're saying um, behind the book. I love that. Um, so do, do you think you could do that? Take oh you know an hour or two with us. No, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. But uh, can you start? Oh, and just, I would love to. Like, okay, great. So I get um, to talk take away. on an unlimited basis. Great. Okay. So um, <laughs> well, I guess the first thing I should probably say is like you know what? How do you get diagnosed with PCOS? Because there is there's a three criteria, and you really need to just have two of the three. And, um, I mean, I could talk all day about how PCOS changes throughout a, the women's lifespan because those criteria can even change. So you can even think about if you've had these criteria at any point in your life um, because uh, some of these uh, criteria get better as we get older. So the first one is actually something called anovulation, and that means that we ovulate later than other women. So uh, you can either ovulate, you know, um, seven days later than another woman who would typically ovulate on day 14, so day 21, or um, some women don't even ovulate very often at all, so months apart. And what that results in is periods that are far apart. So that's very, that's very classic, and you'll usually see that in many women with PCOS. 
So that's called anovulation. And that does tend to get better as we get older. So some of the women who've had that, you know, up until their 30s, they, may actually, they actually might start ovulating regularly when they get a bit older. And that's why it's a little bit more challenging to diagnose it in older women. But keep it in mind, if, you've had, if you had long cycles throughout, you know, your 20s, and I don't mean just in the teen years, because that can be normal for teen girls for a couple of years. But if that persists into the 20s and keeps going, that's actually a lot more significant. So that's one of the criteria. The second criteria is called androgen excess. And um, androgens are hormones similar to testosterone. So they have, they have properties that typically result in what we consider to be secondary male sec- uh, sexual characteristics. So hair growth on the face. Um, or hair loss on a ma- in a male pattern um, uh, way on the scalp. So typically that would be the frontal part of the scalp. Usually the front hairline is preserved in women, but there'd be more concentrated hair loss right there. And then acne. And the acne shouldn't just be, you know, the regular teen acne. It would be acne that persists. It's on the jawline. This is where we have a lot of receptors for androgens. Um, the other criteria could be um, elevated androgens. Uh, the other part of that criteria would be elevated androgens in your blood work. Now, I don't want people to get too carried away with that because uh, blood work androgens in women, the levels, uh, especially of testosterone, the accuracy with which a, a lab can assay those is very poor. So testosterone is very well assayed in large amounts, as as what you'll see in men, but in women, um, it's often inaccurate. So just because you have normal testosterone on your blood work doesn't mean you don't have PCOS. If you have hair growth on your face, you've got hair loss, and you have normal testosterone, you've still got androgen excess. Um, the other place androgens can come from are your adrenal glands. So I'll talk about that as well. So that's another um, marker that you'd want to have tested. So I'll talk about that too. So that's the second criteria. It's the androgen. So it can be in the blood work or it can be, you know, you can see the signs of it in your body. The third criteria is the polycystic ovaries, Um, and this one is actually very controversial because the condition has been named for that, but as you can see, you only need two of those three criteria, so you don't really need to have uh, those those cysts, and what they really are is just eggs that haven't really ovulated, so they just kind of gather around the ovary, and they create a cystic-like appearance. That can fluctuate and change. It can come and go. Sometimes it gets better with age. So, um, and in teen girls, most teen girls, actually, if you ultrasound their ovaries, they have that appearance. So you wouldn't want to diagnose PCOS in a teen girl based just on that ultrasound. So that's another thing to be careful of. That's the diagnostic part. So in my book, I've, I've come up with, uh, you know, what I, what I notice in my practices is that PCOS is really, uh, it has quite a spectrum of the way that it presents. So you'll see some women who are lean, some are who are heavier. You'll see some women who have, you know, a lot of the hair growth and other women who don't. Um, so everyone is quite different. And so what I've, I've kind of boiled it down to just after practicing um, for 15 years with women and seeing these characteristics is, is that there are eight important things to consider for women. And not all women will necessarily have to consider each one of these, but you want to kind of assess, is this relevant for you? Because these are factors that really impact PCOS quite a lot. So uh, the first of these is inflammation. And um, inflammation is thought actually now to be the central factor that all women with PCOS have. Regardless of whether they're lean or they're heavier, um, the classic type of PCOS is, is more, you know, heavier with a, a more abdominal weight or the lean PCOS is, the, is another type of PCOS. 
they all have, you know, everyone has this inflammation. Um, and this is actually something that seems to cause the insulin resistance itself. And inflammation um, comes primarily in PCOS from the fat cells. So there's actually dysfunctional fatty tissue. And this actually starts in childhood with women with the condition. So you'll actually see something that we call adiponectin, which is uh, it's basically a hormone that our fat cells secrete. And we've often, you know, we've often been told that fat is just sort of a, a tissue where you just deposit energy and it sits there. But it's actually not. It's actually a, a, a hormonal hormonally active organ and it sends messages to the immune system it sends messages to the brain through these hormones and they found that children with PCOS who develop PCOS later they actually have low levels of beneficial hormones coming from their fat cells and they have more inflammation coming from their fat cells so the fat cells tend to secrete inflammatory fatty acids more and this actually seems to be one of the underlying causes of insulin resistance. And I can talk about that more in the next section, which is on that. So when we're looking at inflammation, um, it's really important to look at first, you know, do you, uh, do you have a lot of, you know, excess uh, weight on your body? Of course, you're going to have more inflammation from that. Um, and that makes sense. And we can talk a lot about nutrition and how we can help with that too. There's a lot you can do. Um, and then you want to look as well for any other sources of inflammation in the body because inflammation is sort of, it's additive and the more you add, the more it builds up. So um, there's an increased likelihood for women with PCOS to have autoimmune disease like Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So I often recommend that women are checked for that because this uh, is definitely an autoimmune inflammatory condition. Um, if there is anything else in the body that's causing, you know, inflammation, chronic inflammation, such as um, any gut issues or problems with the microbiome. So we, we've seen that there are clear shifts in the microbiome in women with PCOS um, in the gut uh, bacteria, and these are associated with inflammation and metabolic inflammation. So looking at inflammation is really kind of a whole body type of thing. We want to look at, you know, where is it coming from? Is it just simply metabolic inflammation? Is there anything else that we need to address? And then we want to try to approach that. So um, there are different ways to approach that with diet. I'll talk a lot about diet uh, with, when we get to that section. Um, but there's also some really helpful supplements. So if, um, you know, certain kinds of probiotics can be helpful. Um, and, uh, you know, there's also some supplements that are anti-inflammatory. And one of the, the most researched supplements for PCOS uh, that's anti-inflammatory is N-acetylcysteine, which is an antioxidant. And it, uh, it's the precursor for glutathione. So it helps prevent the damage that inflammation can do to the cells. So, yeah, inflammation is really important. And one of the best tests that you can ask for for inflammation is um, HSCRP. So um, HSCRP is just a marker, and it, it's a general marker of inflammation, but it actually can pick up metabolic inflammation. And what I found with this test in particular is that um, even the lean women with PCOS, many of them have very high levels of HSCRP, which is not as common, you know, in leaner women. Um, and you do want to repeat that test if it comes up positive because a lot of things can make your inflammation go up, you know, if you have an infection or something like that. The other test I would ask, uh, you know, most patients to do is antithyroid peroxidase and antithyroglobulin to look for Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So you'll definitely see an increased incidence uh, of that. Okay. So, so the um, first step in reversing your PCOS is to 
cut down your inflammation as best you can, and you'll talk about things that, and, and identifying if you have inflammation or not, and then sort of dealing with it. I'm going to ask you a question right there. Sometimes people hear that and they go, I'm stuck right there. I'm stuck in mm-hmm. this cycle right there on number one. I can't break out of this cycle. Um, um, you know, gaining weight, I've, you know, whatever it is, um, right there is a hard spot for people. Mm-hmm. Losing weight, absolutely, is not easy, especially it's not. In the it's in, absolutely, yeah, because because women with PCOS are are insulin resistant and they secrete more insulin when they eat than other women and their insulin stays high in between their meals and all night long while they're fasting um, compared to others. And insulin blocks fat breakdown. And so because of that, it's very easy to gain weight and not easy to lose weight because insulin does help direct energy into to fat cells for storage too. So you're really dealing with a, a really difficult, difficult situation compared you know and a lot of women with PCOS will say oh well you know my friend did this same diet and she lost you know x number of pounds and I lost you know one tenth of that what's wrong so really it's that women with PCOS what what I found in my practice is that they have to eat differently and I can talk a lot about that because we have a, a nutrition plan that's based on the insulin index of food and it shows you how much uh, foods raise your insulin levels and when you can control that and also structure a meal that's really balanced it allows your that insulin to, to be lower and to drop in between the meals and then your cells become more sensitive to insulin and then we're able to actually achieve weight loss more easily got it okay on to the next yeah one. <laughs> yeah and, right and, there, know, there's but... a lot of supplements yeah, there's a lot of supplements in the book I have for, for inflammation, like omega-3 fatty acids. But, you know, when it comes down to it, a lot of the inflammation is from fat cell dysfunction. So when we look at all the steps, you know, what you'll see is as you go through them all, you start to kind of create a picture of how to approach it. And really the number one thing, and I talk about this in the book, really is, is to, to change the nutritional approach and because that trickles down into everything. But then we have the extra tools. You know, some people, they have a lot of inflammation. You know, they might have Hashimoto's or another autoimmune disease. And those people are going to really need to focus much more um, on the inflammation section. And I do have a quiz that that gives you um, the ability to know how much inflammation you have. So some people have quite a bit more than others. Definitely. So then, um, um, okay, let's keep going. Yeah, I think that's so, okay. such helpful information already. So, what's the what's the second thing someone listening can do to reverse their PCOS? So the next step is actually to treat insulin resistance, and insulin resistance is, you know, basically when our cells do not listen to the messages of insulin very well. Um, now, as I as I just mentioned, there insulin um, it's it's two roles. Number one is to help us store sugar from our food into the liver as glycogen and then into the fat as fat. And so it's storage hormone. It's a, it's a signal that we've just eaten a meal. Um, and the other function of it is actually to block fat breakdown. So basically when our insulin is high, our body thinks that we've just eaten. With PCOS, the fat cells are very good at storing the energy 
and they get overstuffed with energy and they start leaking out the fatty acids and this causes inflammation. And so when this is in the bloodstream, the cells, they, are, they need to protect themselves from all this extra energy and they actually stop allowing insulin to push more glucose into the cell. And it's a self-protection because too much glucose in the cell is, is quite toxic. So the cells become resistant to insulin and because of that, our blood sugar can start to go up. But our pancreas is very smart and it's, it just pumps out more insulin to force the sugar into the cell. So basically, we end up with more insulin secretion than other people have. Um, and this insulin is very central to the pathology of PCOS. So when we have this high insulin, although you know all the cells of the body, or many of them, tend to be resistant, the ovaries remain sensitive to insulin. So we don't really know why that is, and, but it is. So the, the ovaries are still sensitive. And only in women with PCOS, not in other women, when you expose the ovaries to insulin, their ovaries make testosterone. So, and this comes from having increases in enzyme activity of different um, pathways that increase androgen production. So the more insulin, the more testosterone you make. And then the testosterone slows your ovulation down, and then you end up with uh, the lack of ovulation, these longer cycles. So this is kind of where the ovulation problems can, can start. Um, and so we know that, you know, most women with PCOS, when they lose weight, when their insulin levels drop, when all these markers go, go down, they start ovulating more regularly. Like we see that very, very consistently in all the literature. And um, we also know that women with PCOS are more prone to type 2 diabetes. So all the diseases of insulin resistance are much higher. So insulin resistance is very, very important. And it an it and inflammation are kind of like partners. So they work, you know, they work together and they're, they're related very, very much to each other. So it's difficult to truly separate them. Um, so the insulin resistance, you know, there are, there are specific ways to manage that with nutrition. And when I get to that chapter, that's the number one thing you can do for both inflammation and insulin resistance. There are some other things that you can do as well. There's some really good supplements that are helpful for insulin resistance and PCOS. Um, so we have, you know, many different options. Um, one of the ones that's researched the most would be inositol. So there are two different types of inositol. These have been studied uh, many, many times for the Can treatment of insulin that? resistance. Inositol, I-N-O-S-I-T-O-L. Thank you. So the reason that inositol is so helpful is that it's actually the second messenger inside the cell that receives the message from insulin. So if our cells are deficient in inositol, they're not going to get those messages very well from insulin. And also our ovaries contain high amounts of myo-inositol. So um, it's very, very fundamental, and it's almost a vitamin deficiency in PCOS that, that women have. And uh, so inositol is definitely one of the, the basic supplements that most women do quite well on, and it's well tolerated as well. Um, some of the other supplements that are, that are helpful, um, one of them that I, that I like to use a lot is called glucomannan. So glucomannan is actually a fiber. Um, it's, it's basically made from a plant called konjac, and it's very thick and almost gelatinous in texture. So when you take that with your meal, it actually slows down the absorption of the food from that meal and keeps the, the blood sugar from spiking very high. And it also makes you feel more full. 
so that's actually very helpful for insulin resistance. Um, and one of the other supplements that's um, more powerful is berberine, which has been compared to metformin, which is the most popular medication that's prescribed for insulin resistance in PCOS. So berberine um, seems to have a lot of an effect actually on the microbiome in the gut um, in the same way that metformin does. And um, it improves uh, not only some of the insulin um, markers like the HOMA, IR, um, it also improves some, improves some of the inflammatory markers. And one thing I want to talk about for insulin resistance is it, a lot of the time when you get tested, they're going to, you know, a lot of the time you'll be given tests for diabetes, um, which, are, which is not the same thing as insulin resistance. So tests like HbA1c and fasting glucose, if those are normal, um, that does not mean that you don't have insulin resistance. So insulin resistance is better tested by tests such as the fasting insulin, fasting glucose, and taking the ratio of those two and calculating something called the HOMA-IR. So that will, it's a much more sensitive way to tell if you actually have high insulin or a fasting insulin level alone can tell you. Most people should be under seven for their fasting insulin. So if your fasting insulin is above that, then you might have an issue. Um, one of the best tests is a test that we do all the time in our clinic. It's called the Fasting Insulin Glucose Challenge. So it's similar to the glucose tolerance test that women do in pregnancy, but we also measure fasting insulin. So you drink the, the uh, glucose beverage and you do the fasting insulin, fasting glucose, and then a half hour later, you measure both insulin and glucose again. And you see that in women with PCOS, they make a lot more insulin than other women do. And then you measure it again after an hour and then after two hours. And what you'll see again is that the women with PCOS, they tend to have high insulin for longer. And yet their glucose might be totally normal. So diabetes develops after many, many years of insulin resistance. It's a continuum. Does, um, we have a question here from somebody listening. Does, do uh, inflammation and in, insulin resistance have anything to do with infertility? And I don't want to take us too far off track of the eight things. Um, with a half an hour left to go, <laughs> but um, do those have oh, yeah. anything to do with infertility? Oh, yeah, they do. Um, so basically, if you have insulin resistance and your ovary is insulin sensitive and it's making testosterone and you're not ovulating, well, there you go. If you're not ovulating, it's very hard to get pregnant. Um, you have less opportunities. Um, if you ovulate, say, every two months instead of every one month, then you have half the chances to conceive that someone else has. Um, the egg quality is actually also affected by insulin resistance. And not only that, the ability to implant and carry a pregnancy um, and prevent miscarriage, in, insulin resistance causes uh, miscarriage as well. So it definitely profoundly can affect that. That being said, some, some women with PCOS don't have any problems with their fertility. Got it. Okay. So what's the third thing that people can do to reverse the PCOS? Very helpful call, by the way. Thank you. We got that comment, too. <laughs> Let's pass that along. Okay. So, okay. So the third, the third step I have is is balance your adrenals. So the adrenals are the glands that sit on top of the kidneys, and they secrete a variety of different hormones, including cortisol, which is our stress hormone, and some of the catecholamines, which are our flight or, flight or fight hormones. So, you know, this is obviously very important. And one of the things is that um, women with PCOS are much more prone to depression, anxiety, and stress. Um, there's much higher rates of these, these um, mood disorders in our population. Um, but the adrenals also have a special role in PCOS in that some women 
actually over-secrete uh, a hormone that comes from the adrenals, which is called DHEAS, which actually turns into testosterone. So it's a secondary source of adrenal ex uh, androgen excess. And it's almost a separate issue, but it often coincides with PCOS because the tissues actually develop in a fetus from the same, the same tissue when we're developing. So if you're, you're likely to overproduce androgens in one, you can also be in the other. So the adrenals actually uh, go through a daily pattern. They secrete a lot of cortisol in the morning, which wakes us up. And that cortisol then declines throughout the rest of the day, and it's really low at night, and then we, we get tired and we go to sleep. So if that pattern of cortisol secretion is altered, then we can also assume, you know, for example, if you're secreting a lot of cortisol above the normal amount, you would also be secreting a lot more DHEA. The reason is, is that the, the hormone that triggers the secretion of both of those is actually the same hormone, which is called ACTH. So women with, with PCOS should first assess if they have high levels of this DHEAS, because some of them actually don't, but some of them do. And then if they do, it's helpful to do a cortisol test, which uh, takes your saliva at four different times of the day and checks for the normal pattern. And then look and see, you know, do you have um, particular stressors that we can work on? There are certain uh, treatments that we can use, you know, even including things like um, relaxation, deep breathing, yoga, you know, um, to help. The other thing that can affect our cortisol, actually, interestingly enough, is hypoglycemia. So if our blood sugar drops, which women with PCOS are more prone to do, our cortisol goes up and that causes that DHEA hormone as well to go up. So the adrenal that's I think, what I've had my whole life. That, mm. I've, always, I've, I've always been, uh, my whole life, we'd, we'd go in for the tests and everything and it's always hypoglycemia, opposite. Hypoglycemia. So you feel oh, like you okay. constantly need candy. <laughs> so anybody out there who has got that, yeah. it's a it's it's a it's a really interesting problem. Hypoglycemia is uh, yeah, it's, it's a constant craving of sugar all the time to bring your levels up. But anyway, it's sorry to interrupt problem. you. When you said it, I'm like, yeah, I know that one <laughs> for sure. It's so um, it's, yeah, it's so interesting because the hypoglycemia, um, it's it's uh, often a precursor for insulin resistance and. The lean yep. women with PCOS, they have a lot more hypoglycemia than other women uh, who are of the same weight. And the reason is, is that if you make a lot of insulin, um, it can drop your blood sugar faster. Um, the other thing is that in the very earliest stages, they think some women are actually hypersensitive to insulin and it causes their blood sugar to drop really quickly, which makes you want to eat sugar and causes you to become insulin resistant. So it's like a, a continuum where, yep. you know, if you feel like your blood sugar is roller coastering all the time, you know, that, that will eventually often lead to insulin resistance later. Yep. All right. Yeah. So, so that's, I mean, that's really, really helpful information. Um, what, um, let's, Let's go through the fourth, and I just want to make sure people know, too, this is everything and, and even more information is in your book. Your book is so thorough. Um, one of the best books I've read on this topic yet. So um, just oh, thank awesome. You. So, yeah, you're, well, I, you're welcome, but you did all the work, so <laughs> thank you, really. Um, okay, so what's the fourth oh. thing um, that people can do to take steps to reverse their PCOS? Okay, yeah. So the next one is the hormonal imbalances. So these are, um, to, to kind of explain what that means, I consider this to be the relationship between the pituitary gland and the ovaries. 
So we have some pituitary hormones, which include LH and FSH, and these actually send signals to our ovaries in a pattern um, that cause actually our eggs to develop each month to get ovulated and then for us to produce progesterone. So in the first half of your cycle, your FSH should stimulate an egg to develop and the egg makes estrogen. And as the estrogen rises, it reaches a nice peak and that causes the pituitary gland to release a surge of LH and that triggers the egg to get released. The egg gets released, the outside of the follicle where the egg was, then turns into a structure that's pre-programmed for about 14 days to pump out progesterone and then it dissolves. And then once the, the progesterone uh, goes down, then the, uh, the pituitary then sees that all the hormones are low and takes over again, starting another egg to, to grow. So in women with PCOS, this can be altered. And for example, insulin resistance can affect this. So that's why I always like to treat the insulin resistance first, because sometimes this problem goes away when you treat that. But in other women, it doesn't. So um, you do want to address it if it's needed. Um, but what happens is, is that um, women with PCOS have high LH on the begin at the beginning of their cycle. And this LH actually causes the ovary to make more testosterone. And the testosterone feeds back and stops the FSH from becoming the dominant hormone. This is actually interesting because it's thought that women with PCOS are actually in a kind of extended puberty state because as we go through puberty, this is the normal state for all girls. So they all become insulin resistant to gain weight so that they can reproduce and then LH becomes the predominant hormone. But after some time, FSH becomes the hormone that takes over and causes ovulation. But women with PCOS, they never get out of that state. So they end up stuck there with this LH hormone being high and often you'll see it's twice as high as FSH on the first, uh, the second day of the second or third day of the cycle, and that's very classic for PCOS. So if you see if you see that, you know then you'll you know often need some hormonal um, interventions, and there there are many different ways to address this. So um, for example, one of the the ways that you can is through some herbal medicine treatments. So. There are some different options, including, um, for example, Vitex Agnes Castus can be used in certain instances. Um, some other other um, treatments to address the hormones can include black cohosh. Um, and then going even further than that, sometimes I'll use bioidentical progesterone to help provide some of that feedback. Because without the feedback to the brain of progesterone, and women with PCOS tend to have not enough progesterone because they don't ovulate very often, and without that, actually, the, the, the cycle gets further and further stuck. So the progesterone can be used, you know, to break the cycle. Perfect. The, um, what was I going to say? I was going to ask you about the estrogen patch because so many times you go to the doctor with all these issues, which um, also feel like, you know, menopause starting also, um, and the doctors hand you an estrogen patch and, you know, good luck, here it is, and, and you're on your way. And there's so mm -hmm. much controversy behind those still. I don't know, and it could be my age stuck in the controversy um, of them causing breast cancer, you know, and all these things. So I don't know if that's accurate or not. Um, but that's sort, of the, that's sort of what's in my brain as the sort of, you know, what I heard growing up, like don't do that, it causes cancer kind of thing. Um, do you have any comments on that at all? And even if I'm completely off and wrong, that's fine too. 
Mm-hmm. No, that's that's such a good question. There's been a lot of, um, you know, new thinking on that, and it's thought that for certain periods, shorter periods of time, that may not be the case. But what I always think is that we have to look at where that woman is right now in her transition. So at the very first, there's, there's stages of, of perimenopause that happen. And the very first stage, actually, it's progesterone that's much more deficient than estrogen. And actually, a lot of women have high estrogen in the first part of perimenopause. And so adding more estrogen, you know, if you think about the risks for estrogen positive, you know, you really want to look and where is that woman's estrogen at? Like, does she have a lot of estrogen? Um, and then, you know, do we, is she getting any progesterone? So you can often help to ease the transition more with progesterone at first. And, you know, there are so many other options other than doing HRT. And it's, it's uh, you know, a topic where, you know, um, it's going to be different for everyone, you know. So once you're, you're right. going further into that transition, some women feel much better on, you know, some bioidentical HRT for a certain period of time. Um, and pre- preserving the brain function. So I think there's, I think it's very, very individual and I don't really agree with that. Everyone gets the same um, because everyone's perimenopause is, is just super different. You know, one woman will go through it with no issues and the other woman will have a, a completely different set of symptoms than the third woman, you know, so some women suffer a lot more with their mood, some have hot flashes. So um, I think it. just like anything else. Mm-hmm. Migraine. <laughs> migraine, migraine, yeah, migraine. Yeah, and then the the est- the often the high estrogen, you know, and the migraines um, that can be part of it. So, um, you know, it's often good to actually have your hormones checked before um, do. Well, it's it's important to have them checked before doing any kind of uh, uh, hormone replacement therapy. Okay, great. Um, I'm going to take a, a two-second break with you still talking. <laughs> Sorry, you don't get a break. Um, but just okay. to you know, give our listeners a, a second to regroup. And um, I have just a, a question about you personally. Um, we have a thing on Best Ever You where we, I personally just am trying to find women in STEM careers. Um, so this is off topic to everybody listening, and we'll come back to 5, 6, 7, and 8 here in just a second. But um, STEM is science, math. Um, oh gosh, STEM, science, technology, help me out, something in math. Engineering. Engineering, thank you. I drew a blank there for a second. (laughs) But that you you qualify for uh, that. um, Can you you tell me, um, in high school, did you know you were going to do this? Have you always been very scientific and science-based? Because, you know, I, I heard you say in college you were microbiology and all this stuff, and um, we're getting more and more women in these careers, and it's so cool. Yeah, so I was uh, I was actually like a musician, and I was inter- interested in science, so I was really interested in both. I played French horn, um, but I always was very, very interested in, in bi- uh, bioscience and biochemistry. Um, so I guess starting from, you know, grade nine, I started to get really interested in it. And yeah, from then on, I I had teachers that were very encouraging for me to go down that road and take all the math courses. And, um, yeah, so I I was always uh, going towards that. Yeah. It's cooler and cooler to see all the female doctors. It's, it's just awesome to me. I know I missed the memo. <laughs> I knew when I was about 13, I'm like, I'm going to be a doctor. And then I, I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> it's not going to work out for me. I'm a writer. But um, writer, marketing, promotion oh, yeah. kind of thing. But my heart was like, that'd be so cool to be a, a girl and be a doctor. So I just I think that's awesome. Cool. So you know, I just wanted to make sure we covered cool. that because some, some 
kids might be listening. We have a very large teen audience yeah. as well, and while they might not be going, yeah, I have oh. inflammation and influence resistance and all this stuff, they might be going, that's cool, she's a doctor. <laughs> and so, um, oh, That's awesome. Yeah, like I always found, for me, the most exciting thing is discovering something new and then sharing it with other people. So um, right. like science has that at the center. So um, for me, that, that just, it, get, it just makes me so happy. So I always just gravitated towards it for that reason, I think. Awesome. Okay. Back on topic. Well, it's still on topic, but we'll go back to the five, six, seven, and eight. All right. So um, I just okay. want to remind everyone, we're talking with Dr. Fiona McCulloch um, of, I said your name right, right? McCulloch? Yes. I just want to make yes. sure I've been saying it that way. So I want to make sure I'm saying McCulloch, it right. Yeah. Um, Yep, um, and her and she's the author of Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS. She's also the founder and owner of White Lotus Integrated Medicine, and um, I will put up her website links and all that. Um, but we're here talking today about those eight steps, and we are on step number five. Okay, and I just realized I did step I did step five before step four, so you That's can okay. go back here and switch these two around. So this would be. <laughs> excess androgens. Um, so excess androgens are, by some researchers, considered essential to have PCOS. So what they found actually is that even in the women who have, don't have uh, androgens that you can see on their skin, you know, they don't have acne or hair growth, or they don't have high lab tests, if you look inside their tissues, they do. So it's just, it's there for, you know, all women with PCOS. It's just sometimes you can't see it. And androgens decrease with age in women very, very much. So um, as we get older, our testosterone goes down and our DHEAS goes down profoundly. So you may not see higher androgens in older women, but in younger women, you'll see them much more often. So, you know, always think back and, you know, in my 20s, did I have any of these issues? So, um, you know, it's, it's a lifelong condition. It doesn't... Uh, it doesn't go away. So androgens, you know, there are different kinds of androgens. There's testosterone, there's DHEAS. Testosterone comes primarily from the ovaries, um, but some does come from the adrenals. And actually some of it is converted from another hormone that's produced 50-50 by the ovaries and adrenals in the blood. DHEAS is the hormone, the androgen that's uh, produced only in the adrenals. So if you have high levels of DHEAS, then you definitely have adrenal androgen excess. And in the book, I talk about how you have to look at that with respect to your age because DHEAS for a 20-year-old is very different from that of a 40-year-old. If you have a high level at 40, yeah, at 50. So, I mean, some women at 50 have the same level of DHEAS as a girl, you know, who's 14. And that's very unusual. But in the 14-year-old, that's normal. So we wouldn't diagnose Got her it. with PCOS. But yeah. Um, All right, I have then a we have end question. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. I'm just interrupting for one second. Sorry to interrupt you. I know that's very rude. But um, I just want to make sure I get this question yeah. in because we have someone in our chat room who said they just tuned in. And they're wondering when you mentioned hypoglycemia, um, is there anything that you can suggest to avoid the dip that occurs after having a meal? Being insulin resistant and hypoglycemic at the same time is a tough one to handle. And I concur. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Okay, so definitely there's something you can do about this. So the, the, if you look at the different macronutrients, carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, um, carbohydrates cause a rise in blood sugar and then a drop in blood sugar. And it, the blood sugar will drop quite low after about 300 minutes of 
consuming this carbohydrate. If you uh, take fat or protein, the blood sugar stays more stable, you know, than it does with the carbohydrate by far, but it still does come down a little bit. But if you combine basically protein and fat together, your blood sugar will stay very stable for a long time. And so that's the key really is to combine protein and fat at a meal. So eat a pizza? <laughs> Just kidding. I'm totally kidding. Without the carbs. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny, right? <laughs> but the carbs, yeah, the carbs. So when you, and I can talk about this in the diet section, but when you combine carbohydrate with fat, it causes a huge spike in insulin, oh. and that can drop your blood sugar. So the magic is really to combine protein with fat, and then lots of Got fiber, so, like vegetables. That will keep your blood sugar really stable. And so when you say like a protein with fat, give me an example of that. And can you do it other than fish too, because we have a huge food allergy audience too. Oh sure, okay. So you could do, for example, chicken. And avocado. Yep. That would Got be it. super okay. simple. Yeah. Give me one more. Or like a small handful of nuts and, you know, eggs. And one more, no nuts. No nuts, no nuts. Um, so you could do a smoothie with vegan protein powder, uh, almond butter, avocado, coconut milk, and a bunch of spinach. Got it. Okay. Yeah, but, We're gonna move you know, on. in, in our nutrition plan, we have, you know, there's, there's healthy fats, so that's a big part of it. Like, so you start with the lean proteins, and then you add healthy, healthy fats, vegetables, and then depending on how insulin resistant the woman is, there's a small amount of carbs with certain meals, you know, of the day, particularly more in the evening. But having a lot of carbs that overpower the other macronutrients is going to cause fluctuations in blood sugar. Got it. And I'm told to give you a shout out for how awesome you are also in the chat room. Oh, <laughs> so there you go. That's yeah, nice. Shout out. Thank you. <laughs> if any of you have any other questions, sure, just, um, go ahead and give us a call. <laughs> it's funny. All right. So um, four and five were um, reversed. And let's go on to number six with, um, we're going to go over, I think, to everybody listening. And, Doctor, is that okay with you, too? If, I don't know if we're going to cover everything in 10 minutes left, but we do stay recording, and so people can just listen, us on, listen to us on the free replays. Um, so if six, seven, oh, and eight sure. to go. Okay, awesome. Okay. So six is? So six is thyroid, and the reason I have thyroid in here is for a couple of reasons. One, as I mentioned before, Hashimoto's thyroiditis is more common in PCOS, so there's more likelihood of a woman with PCOS having a thyroid problem. Secondary, the effects are additive. So if you're if you're hypothyroid, you're going to be more insulin resistant, and that's a huge problem because it slows your metabolism down. Um, so and vice versa, actually, if you're insulin resistant, it affects your thyroid hormones. So I feel that this must be addressed in every woman. And research has found that there's a tighter recommended range for women with PCOS with TSH which is under 2.5 or under 2. And women with PCOS, when they keep their thyroid within that range, their metabolic markers are better. So it's, it's important to, be, you know, to really be able to read your own um, thyroid hormone testing because the reference range uh, is very large. And there's a lot of people with undertreated thyroid conditions who are, are experiencing symptoms out there. Okay. And what are symptoms of thyroid just so, just a few of them. So, other yeah, than the weight, the most weight gain or weight loss. 
Yeah, other than the weight gain, um, the biggest one is definitely fatigue. So if you feel tired all the time, you're getting enough sleep, there's no reason for it. You're just all of a sudden you're tired and you weren't tired, a tired person. That's a pretty uh, a pretty big symptom. You should you know check the thyroid. Some of the other ones are feeling cold all the time, particularly if you don't have low iron. You know, if you're heavier and you feel cold all the time, that's that's unusual. So that's another symptom. Dry skin, hair loss. And loss of the eyebrows, like the lateral eyebrows, brittle nails, and constipation. Got it. Okay. None of which sounds fun. Um, yeah. Fun and, and, and yeah, and like depression, anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Can you treat your thyroid naturally without having to have it iodined and nuked and all that stuff? Um, it depends. So. Sometimes you can. You can certainly treat some of the thyroid antibodies with uh, minerals like selenium. That's very important in zinc. It can be important too. Um, if somebody has a true condition of hypothyroidism, many of them do need some kind of thyroid hormone replacement therapy. Um, a lot of my patients do well on desiccated thyroids, so that's uh, what I tend to prescribe. But uh, some other patients do well on T4 only medication. It really depends. Just it's that the thyroid actually becomes damaged, and sometimes it can't make hormones. So, um, you know, you're just replacing what you would have made. Uh, that said, if it's very mild, you know, you can you can sometimes get yourself into the optimal zone by looking at some of these these minerals and working on some of the other you know the other factors like the insulin resistance. Okay. Um, and the seventh one? Okay, the seventh one is um, environment. So environment, um, it's, it's very important for PCOS. The reason is, is that it's almost like an epigenetic factor that can turn on the genes. So research has found that you can even induce PCOS if you expose a pregnant rat to one exposure of bisphenol A, which is the plastic chemical, um, and that, that rat is pregnant at the time with a female baby, that that baby, after just one exposure, can develop PCOS, and without any further exposures, that baby's baby can develop even worse PCOS. So it's an it's a inherited change in the ovary, the structure and function of the ovary. And we've found also that women with PCOS, so there's a study on adolescents with PCOS, they tend to urinate out a lot more bisphenol A. And it's thought that there's something about the me- metabolic, um, the lipids, actually, that cause increased retention of BPA in the body um, compared to other women. And so it has more effect actually on the hormones. So it is really important to avoid some of these uh, environmental contaminants whenever you can, particularly if you're thinking of having children in the future because your eggs are in your ovaries already. So, um, you know, it's it's a little bit concerning actually um, to think about this. And, uh, you know, it's not just for being pregnant with females, but also with males, because it's been found that PCOS does travel in the genes of males as well. Okay. And then the eighth one, and then we'll come back for any kind of questions people might have. So the last one is, and I, I have it last because it influences everything. And what I always ask women to do is to go through all the steps, like read the whole thing and do all the quizzes, and then come to the end and start with the last one, which is, nutrition. So as we do the nutritional changes, you know, once you understand all the other steps, you'll see a lot of the first steps will can resolve actually down that line. So the nutritional changes that we recommend or that I've been working with in my clinic involve using something called the insulin index of food. 
So this is actually similar to the glycemic index. It was actually developed by the same researchers, but it measures the amount of insulin we release rather than the amount of, of glucose that are, rises in our bloodstream after we consume a food. So as you can imagine, you know, with PCOS, it's not diabetes, it's insulin resistance. So this is actually extremely powerful metric that we can use. So there's a meal plan based on that. And just to kind of summarize it, it's, you know, starting off with lean protein and thinking about the different proteins, um, proteins actually stimulate insulin release, but they don't trigger our glucose to rise after we eat. So this is, this is very, very interesting. And certain proteins tend to do this much more. So for example, dairy, um, and this is probably why so many women with PCOS have done consistently very well without dairy, is that dairy has one of the most insulin stimulating proteins, um, certain types of branched chain amino acids. And for example, a small cup of fruit yogurt will raise your insulin more than two pieces of white bread. So dairy uh, often is not a good protein choice just for that reason alone. But protein is good in a lot of ways because it does, it does make us feel full. It's associated with weight loss. It increases another hormone called glucagon. So just choosing the right kinds of proteins. And we usually uh, recommend um, chicken, fish, um, eggs. Um, legumes, uh, although they are partly carbohydrates, so I can talk a bit about that too. Um, and then beef does have a higher insulin index than chicken, um, as does pork, but it's not excluded. It's just something to have occasionally, and you wouldn't want to have as much. So um, the protein starts off uh, as the basis. Then you would add uh, a lot of vegetables. So we're looking at something like two cups of vegetables per meal, and then adding some healthy fats with that meal. So usually, uh, you know, a tablespoon of a healthy oil like avocado oil, coconut oil, or extra virgin olive oil, and um, or nuts or seeds or guacamole or avocado or coconut. Um, so the healthy fat's really important. And again, going back to why that is, it just keeps our blood sugar really stable. So when we combine the protein and the fat and the vegetables, now we've got this really stable blood sugar because the vegetables make us feel full. They slow down the absorption. Uh, not only very nutritious, but keep our keep the uh, insulin from spiking. And then you would add on a small amount of nutrient-dense carbohydrate. And depending on the level of insulin resistance, this will really vary uh, for the woman. So I tend to adjust that for each woman, um, you know, often sticking with something like berries for breakfast. Um, but some of the options would include things like sweet potatoes, um, root vegetables like butternut squash. So there's lower, lower um, insulin index carbohydrates to choose from as well and then just keeping the portion controlled and so I'll usually recommend a certain total count per meal for for women based on their insulin index and of course like we try to recommend you know whole foods clean eating avoid anything you know processed foods obviously you know avoid sugar but it's not a super strict diet you don't have to be 100% eating like this all the time um, just 90% of the time is often good enough um, and, you know, but just understanding that structure and what this, this does to your body, that makes a huge difference for most women because it's a lifestyle change. It's not a diet, really. Um, the one topic that um, just me personally I'm curious about, too, before we go, um, how about exercise? Because it seems um, like I just helped a gal lose um, over 100 pounds over the past year and some and um, wow, you know it was it was hard. yeah really proud of her. Um, but it was really hard for her to get going exercising, and I think a lot of us feel that way too, especially as we age and all that. And it sometimes it feels like the exercise can make you feel like you have more inflammation than you did before you went exercising. <laughs> it's interesting as you age. Yeah, 
It's true. It's true. And I think, you know, the this research shows that it doesn't have to be super, in, you know, a lot of exercise. It can be short, um, high intensity interval training can be enough, you know, a 10 or 15 minute a few times a week can make a huge difference. Or, you know, weight training, but with an experienced trainer, you know, where you're making sure you're not getting injured, especially if you're getting older, because that's a real concern. Swimming can be good. I think any way that you can get your body moving is great. Um, but any, anything that you can do to build lean muscle mass is going to make you less insulin resistant because the muscle mass actually um, increases insulin sensitivity. So there's lots of different ways that you can do that without really pushing your body too far. Fabulous. All right. So I'm not going to keep you much past this, but I, wanna, I just want to say thank you so much. That was a ton of information um, in one hour's time, and you did a fabulous job communicating a diff- kind of a difficult topic. Um, I would encourage people, thank um, if, oh, thank you so much. If, if anybody has any questions, there were a lot of terms, um, a lot of almost, it seemed like some acronyms, some um, herbal things mentioned, things like that. If anybody has any questions regarding anything that was said, you didn't quite hear it right, you don't know how to spell it, <laughs> anything like that, just put a note on the show, and um, I will make sure that we get your questions answered or, or just tweet us, um, um, and we'll, we'll answer whatever you need. Um, but thank you so much for being with us for the hour. Awesome to have you, and I hope you'll come on again because it feels like we could chat another two hours on the topic for sure. Oh, yeah. I just can't stop talking about this, so happy to talk anytime. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for choosing this as your career. <laughs> You're good at it. It's it's cool to, to hear somebody um, this well-versed in, uh, this infor- you know, in this information. Your book was so thorough. Again, one of the I, what I thought was so cool about it is, is it was actually scientific, with you know things that you know prove what you're saying and you know all, all these studies and things like that instead of just you know eat less and exercise. You know you had thing you know you actually had depth yeah. to it, um, and some solutions. So I thought that was really cool. But again, um, everybody listening, that was Dr. Fiona McCullough. Um, thank you so much, Doctor, for being with us. Her book is called Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS and she's also the founder and owner of White Lotus Integrated Medicine. Her websites are drfionand.com and whitelotusclinic.ca. And um, she's also on Twitter at, oh, gosh, you're going to have to help me with your Twitter. What is it again? Fiona? Um, oh, it's Fiona Mick ND. Fiona M-C-N-D. Got it. Okay, perfect. I hate ending our show, but we have to go. (laughs) But thank you so much again for being with us, and thank you all so very much for listening. Take care and have a wonderful day. We appreciate you all being with us. And um, with all of our shows, gosh, I think we're up over 400 now and almost to about 3 million downloads. You can share the shows. It's all free replays. We are on iTunes, we are on Stitcher, we are on all sorts of places that carry podcasts and disseminate them to the world. Um, And we just really encourage you to listen and share the show, especially if you think this one in particular, I love this show, um, will help somebody that you know. um, And maybe we'll have Dr. Fiona back on again uh, soon. So thank you again, everybody, for listening, and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Best Ever You Network. For more information, just visit us at besteveryou.com. With- 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.